Welcome to the Future Accords on KTUH University of Hawaii Radio for the cultural and educational enrichment of the students of Hawaii as well as the global community. On this show, we will interview thought leaders to hear about their past, present, and hopes for the future. Join us as we dive into topics around the five P's of sustainable development, people, planet, prosperity, peace, and partnerships. I'm your host, Ari Eisenstadt, and let's explore the future together. Aloha, and welcome to the Future Accords. My name is Ari Eisenstadt, and you are listening to KTUH, Radio for the People. This is our first ever podcast, and we have a very special guest today. We're joined by Casey Fenton, the founder of Couchsurfing. Uh, He also has created Wonder Upstock and is now writing a new book on hacking ego. So, Casey, thank you so much for being with us today. It's a pleasure to be here with you today, Ari. Um, I'm super psyched for this program. And so, yeah, I I can't wait to see what kind of questions you have in store. Fantastic. So, uh, what we're thinking about for the format of this show is to focus on future studies and look at the different scenarios and hearing your vision for the future. And by doing that, first going into your past uh, and then looking at your present and then exploring all the different alternative futures and hopefully figuring out what the optimal one would be. Um, So let's dive into first just your background, where where are you from, and what has what has been the inspiration for your work? Sure, thank you for that question. Um, so I grew up in a small town in Maine, in New Hampshire, a small ski town, uh, and, and it was a town called uh, called Brownfield, Maine. Just about a, a thousand people lived there, and I wasn't sure growing up whether I would live and die in that small town. So that was, you know, I was very philosophical. I learned about classic philosophers, free will, and I thought, okay, what can I do to hack reality? How can I get out of here? And so I came up with a, a, a uh, this idea of intensity, diversity, and frequency of experiences and started traveling all over, just buying random plane tickets. And so I'm compressing this a little bit, of course, for the format. Um, and I just started to learn at how much travel can mend your broken heart or, you know, you can learn so much about the world and it, it started to expand my mind. Uh, and lots of adventures later, I said, I need to travel like this all the time. Like I had a, tri- a trip to Iceland where I got to stay with locals, uh, hacked into the University of Iceland student directory and spammed a bunch of people, said, can I stay on your couch? And then a bunch of people said, yeah, come stay with me. And they were amazing people. And I was like an MVP for, for couch surfing. I basically put my profile in an email and sent it out. And then they said, yeah, sure, come stay with me. So <laughs> amazing. Kind of what year stuff. was was this around? Like what, what kind of technology sure. are we talking about? I came up with the idea of couch surfing in 99. And then this was like, year 2000 so it was a trip to egypt that i came up with the idea of couch surfing and it was this i got to stay with locals and they helped me climb the pyramids and stay inside of the pyramids and it blew my mind that that could happen uh, i guess it's not really legal so you probably shouldn't do this <laughs> i didn't know stupid and young i just did what i what the locals said i should do uh but uh it, it just it gave me this inspiration that that the the backs that this backstage pass to the world is like one of the best ways to learn and grow as a human so that's what I sent out. Sent out. I was like, there has to be a way that not only I could do this, but other people could do this too. And being such a shy person, it was just so important for me because I, I'm not going to walk into a bar and walk up to somebody and say, hey, how's it going? Can I stay on your couch or anything? Really, I probably couldn't say anything at all back then. Uh, now, uh, you know, now I've uh, learned how to be extroverted to a, bit, to a degree. But yeah, I think that's that's kind of the early days. That was year 2000. And then I started programming and couch surfing, working in politics in Alaska. 
for the minority leader. And then at, at, I was running a U.S. Senate campaign, uh, the, uh, the digital strategy and all the internet stuff, and at the same time programming and launching Couchsurfing in the night. So that was really a powerful, weird time. Wow. This is pre-Facebook era also and slow right. internet connections. What a futurist you must have been back then in, in foreseeing right. what this could be. Did you have an idea of how big of a movement this could become? I mean, how many people have been couching since then? Yeah, so there's over maybe 15, 20, 20 million members wow. uh, that, that are members of Couchsurfing over the years. But what's interesting, there's hundreds of millions of trust experiments, I would say. Couchsurfing being one of the largest trust experiments of all time, there's literally hundreds of millions of times that people have gone and stayed on another person's couch or had somebody come and stay on their couch, so to speak. So that's a lot of, uh, a lot of data that I got to experience, which is really cool. Amazing. So in, in future studies, we look at these four core scenarios that the Manoa method has come up with of continued growth of just going in a linear progression uh, of discipline, of having this kind of recession and constriction of collapse of everything falling apart uh, and then transformation of this exponential growth. Uh, and it yeah. really seems like the couch serving movement has been transformational, that there is nothing like this before. But there are also the primal fears of the worst case scenarios um, or any level in between. So what was it like projecting and looking into the future when you had this idea and you wanted to start implementing it? Well, I knew that I found this idea extremely useful and very fascinating on all these levels. Like the most important was like I could meet real people around the world and then the world wouldn't seem so big and I could like maybe become somebody because of all these perspectives. I don't, I'm in, from a small town. I'm you know, a bit educated, but not really much. Uh, and I just don't even know what I don't know. I feel like the world's so big and ominous. And I w wanted that backstage pass or something. And so I thought that if there are other people out there like me, this will go somewhere. At least I'll have maybe a few thousand people that I could go and stay with. But I didn't realize that there's this dream of being able to see the world as something that all of us have, at least at one point in our lives. Wow. And so can you take us through the, the life cycle and your experiences with couch surfing and how is it, how has it grown? How did you transform beyond that also? Sure. So I launched it in 2004 and it was just this crazy idea. People were like, that's crazy. You're going to have a stranger. You're going to meet a stranger online. Are you insane? But I approached that with this idea that if we could make people feel safe, and then if we could show people how interesting that each other are, then people would want, want to uh, meet each other and take take these risks. But it wouldn't really be risks. They'd be calculated risks. They would know that this person's vouched for. They're verified. They've got all these uh, references on their profile. Wow, this person's actually an okay person. And so that was kind of one of the first websites that I think started doing it like that, the sharing economy. It kind of, I think a lot, I've heard from a lot of people that went and couched and experienced the sharing and then the reputation engine and are like, oh, this could be applied to this other thing or this other thing and this other thing. So I think all of this stuff probably would have happened on its own. It has been really interesting to be um, kind of on the front, sit, perched on the front of the wave, watching it come in and just experiencing like, what is this all this? Wow, 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 wow. So that's um, that's been pretty thrilling and then it's given me some uh, sometimes I feel like an old granddaddy in the internet world even though I'm just 40 now uh, <laughs> that I, I get to to think and and see about uh, what are the, some of these cutting edge ways in which we're, we're headed what these cutting edge technologies social technologies so um, I'm really optimistic about where we're headed for uh, as a humanity but you know we have some big problems that we need to solve of course 
Absolutely. And so I, I want to now transition into uh, how your role has shifted from couch surfing to then uh, the next project, Building Wonder. What was that transformation like for you? Sure. So, yeah, Wonder was a tough company. Uh, it's, it wonders 360 degrees back from your friends, quantitative feedback, so like numeric feedback. Uh, and you get to see the answers on life's most important questions average and anonymous and so it raised a couple million dollars uh, but it ended up being uh, it was it's kind of a moonshot you could say and it ended up being where i couldn't raise anymore it got the macroeconomic conditions got a little tough so that project's been put on pause but what's so cool about this is it's a gift to get viral loop where you get to discover what other people are thinking and feeling about you as time goes on so you get to kind of constantly improve yourself and see how that improving and makes an effect on how people are giving you feedback and the, it was interesting also is that once you have that feedback and you collect it that is reputation and why is that important so in the past um we didn't have a great way to we've never had a great way to say here's my reputation trust me let's go on the adventure of a lifetime but i got to see that in couch surfing got to see people having 20 positive references they say to say to a host can i stay with you in this other country host says ah, i'm not home but you've got 20 positive references keys under the mat i'll see you in a couple of days right that person just got their life accelerated that person just got more life and that's i think what we're getting as time is going on the more uh, reputation and trust systems that we enact and hopefully good ones that, that are more utopian let's say the better that we can uh, live more life within one life i think that's what is just really one of the big lessons of couchsurfing was is that so in wonder the idea is to take that and bring it to everyone, bring it to in every in any dimension in life. So big, big project. We're we're not sure where it is right now. We're uh, we're gonna come back to it. But more recently, I've been working on another one. I think we were talking about it called Upstock. But anyway, where where should we go now? Right. So starting with couch surfing, and it's almost this gift based economy that it's all a free flow of of travel, of of hosting, then to wonder where it's this feedback, and now into Upstock, where you're really starting to quantify work and equity distribution of startups. Is that is that accurate? That's right. Not just startups, any company that's you know under Fortune 1000. Fortune 1000s already have this technology, uh, but they pay millions of dollars for it. We need to bring this technology to everyone because right now people are suffering. They can't, you know, if, if you could, easy, before you couldn't share your life with somebody you didn't know, well, Couchsurfing allowed you to. Then wonder what it's trying to do is allow you to share your reputation so it can accelerate pretty much all aspects of life. And that's more on a social, like a social reputation perspective. And then what Upstock is trying to do is it's trying to allow you to share your passion, your project. Uh, there's just no good way to do that. So it's, you know, all of these things have to come down to sharing, right? Uh, there's just no good way for the average startup or business owner to quickly share equity, but then for people to actually believe in it. Stock options don't work. They're a stack of documents you sign, put in a drawer and forget. That's not inspiring. So we add, we add the dashboard, which is a key. Uh, and so that people can see their ownership in real time going up and to the right. That's And you believe, seeing is believing. That's the idea. Amazing. So, what what have been the first uh, seeing and believers? What what have they what have they done with this project? How has this experiment evolved uh, since you started it? Sure. So we we started off and it was we said, well, let's just see if this works. We needed it for ourselves. So the, we started a pilot with the first couple of companies, and we just started with um, a spreadsheet. Everybody could see everybody else's hours or, or days logged or vesting, and people could log their hours or days or hour whatever their unit of time was. And people could see the outcomes in real time. Here's the valuation of the company. Here's my slice. Here's what the equity pool is for employees and contractors. And then there's my slice in real time. That worked so well, even that rudimentary um, device, that 
people asked us if they could use it and then we allowed them and then it works really well for them. They were saving 70, 60 to 70% on payroll wow. because you're able to use equity now as a real tool. People, it's hard to it's distribute equity. If it's in the form of a document, you need a lawyer and it costs all this money. So you end up only distributing it to people you know, further down in the company, like when the company has a lot more money. But the times in the company where you really, really need this is early on. You you need to be able to show equity and you need to share a real equity that people can believe in because if they're going to take a risk, especially early in the early days, you want to give them something that is that they can believe and take a real risk, not kind of just half believe it maybe, oh, maybe this equity, I'm going to have to buy it later. It's going to get clawed back. It's just not a great motivator. So that's the problem that we solved. We brought the Fortune 1000 style equity down to everyone for software as a service, $20 a person per worker per month. It's easy. You just click and sign up. Wow. Yeah. And, and I feel like th that's one of the biggest reasons that startups fail is really that discord between founders and those early employees. So having an almost automated way of, of quantifying that almost helps the whole company be more successful. I think it really does. It, in my experience and all the companies that we beta tested with, when people believe in this, they're willing to work that much harder. They're thinking about the problems of the company, the shower in the morning, on the way to work. That's what you really want. People could be thinking about anything. They can be thinking about political problems. They could be thinking problems with their family. They can, there's, all, there's a million things that want our attention every day. But why should they be thinking about the problems of the company? They probably only should be if they're being compensated for it and that if people are aligned. Think of like equity is it's the one of the best alignment tools there is. If you are not aligned or you have different economic incentives, people will know that. Or they're just gonna not know and they just wonder what's real. And so when you say, hey, let's charge up that hill over there, everybody's like, hmm, yeah, sure, twiddle thumbs. Uh, maybe not. Yeah. Oh yeah, sure. I'll send you lip service, pretend we're going there. But is my is my neural network really harnessed for that task? Are we really doing this together? It's a big question. Where does ego come into that of the ideas of leadership, of followership, of having agency, of being compensated fairly for that? What in, in your experiences, what what has that insight led to discovering of how to hack egos? Yeah, it's fascinating. I think one of the most one of the greatest opportunities we have as humans for uh, improving the world and improving ourselves has to do with human ego. Uh, we don't understand what it is. If you ask people, what is human ego? They say it's uh, some bad thing. It's like, um, I don't know, it's egotistical or something. And then th that's it. So it seems like it's something, I think we'd all agree, it affects pretty much every moment of our life. And every decision we make, whether we like to believe it or not, we'd probably say it affects every decision everyone else makes at least. And so why is it that something that's so important and so key and drives so much of our evolution and decision-making is a black box. That's really a problem for us. So I have this thesis that says, if we could understand it, we could hack it. We can hack it for good. We can, and we can use the understanding to become the people we want to be immediately with the help of our friends. And the, the, the short version of it, and if people want to follow along or, or go, um, go check out my, my talk on it, you can go to bit.ly, bit.ly slash ego hack, E-G-O-H-A-C-K, bit.ly ego hack. And there you can see uh, just a lot of the principles and a lot of the nuggets that go into understanding where, where does ego come from, where does ego come from, why is it beneficial, how does it help us, and why is it a double-edged sword. So the long and short of it is we become who other people tell us we are for social cohesion. You've heard the research, uh, you become the five people you hang out with. I would say it a little bit different. I would say you become what the five people you hang out with, what they say you are. 
Mm. For social cohesion, imagine we're born and we don't care about what other people think. We don't have any empathy, compassion. You're called a sociopath. You know, sociopaths, uh, there's about 8% apparently. That can be helpful to society a little bit in certain ways. You just wouldn't want to have everybody like that, though. You need people to be born and they care and they're tormented by what other people think. And they just it just bothers them and they're, they're thinking about it all the time. That's the society that works. I want to be born in that world uh, rather than the, the, the where you're, everyone is born and they don't care about what other people think and they spend a lifetime trying to think about and emulate empathy and compassion. That just wouldn't work. We wouldn't have modern society. We wouldn't be here. So it's such an important thing to have is the ego. We have identity and ego. And if you can get the help of your friends to hack yourself, then you can immediately become the person you want to be. Like your friends will have three times more power in changing who you are than you would can, can change yourself. Amazing. So can you walk me through that? How, how do you begin to uh, get that self-awareness and, and start to hack your ego? So you got to figure out first who you want to be. And a lot of times we'll have an idea of who we don't want to be. I don't want to be this, or I don't want to be that. I don't want to be, I want to, and then you might say, all right, the opposite of not getting enough things done is I want to get more things done. I want to be more efficient. I want to be more, um, I want to have greater outcomes. Uh, Instead of, I I really don't like people that are like, um, you know, they're mooching off me or something. Well, what is the positive? You got to figure out what the positive version of that is, because it's better. It's better to map, pattern match on what you want versus what you don't want. It's, think of it like a snowball. Whatever is in your identity, you'll automatically find in your environment, and you'll find more of it. So if you're told as a child, you're not enough, you're not lovable. Well, guess what? You're going to find in your environment everywhere you go in life, and it's going to torment you. So you've got to you reprogram this stuff at the core. You got to take inventory. Like, who am I? What is my? What are my identities? Because it's going to you're going to have confirmation bias snowball. So you got to figure out who you want to be, and then you've got to get the help of your friends. So you can do it passively or actively. To do it passively, anytime somebody compliments you or recognizes you, going in the direction of you know, let's say you want to get more things done something about getting things done you say thank you so much for recognizing me it's thanks for thanking thank you for recognizing me that really helps me it really helps me grow and in that direction i really appreciate it thank you so much thanks right then they're like and you're smiling you're using lots of emotion and then they're like yeah really thank you for thanking me well thank you and it just goes in circles and then it's a it's it's that that kernel of that identity will just keep snowballing right so that's the that's a passive way you can do it uh it's a you know you're doing it and and somebody else is kind of helping you. They're re- reflecting back to you. Uh, maybe that you don't have enough time to explain this whole deck. Maybe, but maybe you go and you share this deck, this Bitly Ego Hack deck, with a friend, and you talk about it. And you're like, yeah, let's try this thing out. Uh, that's a bit more active, right? So in that case, you're basically saying, hey, who do you want to be? Who do you want to be? Who do we all both want to be? Okay, now we're going to look for opportunities to show each other evidence and tell each other, that's how I see you. I see you as somebody who's getting things done every day. In fact. Look at the fact that you're just here right now at this meeting. This meeting it, it tells me that you love to get things done. Now, Ari, I see you uh, really somebody who's super passionate about all these topics, and you want to share them with the world. And look at you. You're just like jumping jumping up and down. I see you on the video right now just smiling. It's this grin on your face. Wow. You really love this stuff. Right. You're so good at it. I can see I think you're good at it and you have a passion for it. Is that right? Absolutely. I think there are cultures that don't share that type of feedback as as openly. So are there other tools for getting people to open up more and and share how they're feeling in that way? Yeah. So that's some of the challenge that we've been thinking and working with my girlfriend, Simone. She's from Scandinavia. And so that's a, that's just you don't share positive things like that. I did this talk once in Germany and somebody emailed me after and said, thank you for doing that talk. You know, we could use a li- little bit more of that here because we have this saying, the silence is thanks enough. 
So, <laughs> you know, like, what, like, whoa. So people's feedback ratios, I think, really matter. The, that's another thing that's kind of in this ego hacking deck is one of the largest things is governing where we're going, which the choices we're making is this feedback ratio, positive to negative feedback ratio in life. So it really starts to get interesting when different cultures have different default feedback ratios. On average, most people have a neutral spot of two positives to one negative. If you have two positive feedback intensities to one positive, that's like the two to one, that's neutral. But if you go below there, one to one, you feel like life sucks. You want to, you want to just it feel, you feel pain in your amygdala. You literally are getting pain, uh, a pain signal, social pain signal into your core of your brain. You can take ibuprofen to stop it. Apparently, uh, that's pretty interesting. And that, that manifests as depression, loneliness, all the, all of those things. That's the kind of pain that it is. So people solve that pain and try to, they want to get their feedback ratio up or they want to dull in the feedback ratio pain input right so they can do the healthiest thing to do is get depressed and make a change if you get depressed to make a change you're probably changing your whole input cycle right your input output feedback loop so that's good getting depressed and making a change chronic depression is not so good but getting depressed to make a change that's great yes thumbs up but if people invent a story that makes them feel good that's where reality debt can come in so you invent a story that may not be actually true but it makes you feel good in that moment short-term solution you get too much reality debt, and then you're going to have taste of reckoning. So, or people use drugs and alcohol, uh, or just avoidance to try to deal with this kind of thing. But if you can get up to four positive to one negative feedback ratio, that's where thriving comes in. You can hear people, you can hear the negative. So that's an important piece. But you asked about different cultures. You're still working on that. Different cultures have different feedback ratio settings. And what I've seen in my experience is if you get that feedback ratio high enough, good things happen. Doesn't matter what culture you're in. Uh, but you can't go too high. 12 to 1, things become meaningless. Uh, you have supermodels that are just like, and, and you know, rock stars that want to blow, blow their brains out because they don't feel in touch with reality anymore. They'd be susceptible to um, abusive relationships because, hey, lowers the feedback ratio. feels good. Fascinating. So it's not just hacking your ego and psychology. It's really hacking your biology. Uh, and, and on it a societal awesome. level, it starts to affect the environment as well. It's really, really yes. interesting. It's, it is completely biological. The feedback ratio is built into our DNA and modified a bit by our culture. So people think, oh, it's all about, I can't believe this person, blah, 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 blah. Why are they blah, blah, blah? Don't you agree with me? You know, you hear this all the time, right? Really, it's that people's feedback ratio is low and they're upset about it and they're trying to create a story to make themselves feel good and they're trying to get you to agree. But it doesn't work. It doesn't actually ultimately work. It has many problems that are kind of, that seem kind of obvious. But what you need to do, I think, what the, the thing to remember is focus on the ratio, not the content. Hmm. People have down, tit for tat, downward spirals. They have the love of their life right there with them, yet they get into a tit for tat ego spiral and it all blows up and you yo-yo and you keep doing that. It's the ratio, stupid. Yeah. <laughs> it's increase the ratio, get up to that four to one. I could say a million things about anyone, negative or positive, infinite, negative or positive. Make sure you nurture that positive, healthy ratio. And then you, when you say something that's quote unquote negative, somebody will hear it. Oh, I didn't take out the trash. <laughs> I probably just forgot about it. Sorry, I'll uh, try to do better. Versus if you have a low feedback ratio, you didn't take out the trash. Plus, you didn't buy the trash bags, you know, that mm -hmm. goes around. This is, I think, where I think in all of society, we are suffering from this uh, at the interpersonal level, at the nation state level. And it is a major problem that I think uh, I hope we can solve. 
Absolutely. So let's talk about these different levels and your vision for those future scenarios. What does it look like on a local organizational community level when we start hacking our ego like that, when we start having these systems of trust, of cooperation, of gamification? What is what is your vision for that far future scenario when when we start doing that? Yeah, so when we, when we have limited resources, right? We have limited resources. How do we deal with that? Uh, how do we deal with that in a, in a friendly way that we can have a nice future um, where we, you know, with, with whether it's climate change or whether it's just ideological differences? That's a big question. And as, as the population grows and temperatures increase and maybe resources are under threat, you know, we all we all kind of hope, okay, maybe it's going to be uh, it's going to be some technology, yeah, exponential technology that's going to save us. Hopefully, maybe, but I think there's a couple other things that we can really do that will uh, have even more impact. So um, that's where I'm I'm really focusing on a few that I think I can do something about. Where we have you know this ego hacking. If we can get people to cooperate better because they don't get in these ego traps and these ego debts, the, the world will be more efficient. Imagine you've got 50% more efficiency in cooperation uh, person to person. That's a big deal. So that's one. I think in the future we also we also need to have cooperation on sustainability. But we have a tragedy of the commons issue where everybody's like. Yeah, unless everybody is going to, you know, not pollute. Well, I don't want to be the fool uh, that just is losing out. So um, I'm just going to keep going until something happens. It's legislated, whatever. Because otherwise, I'm just going to be losing out, and everybody else will just be taking. So big tragedy of the commons. I think the way to solve that is loop people's sustainability actions back into their public reputation. So you can give people the opportunity to say. Hey, give me feedback on my on my sustainability or something like that, and then be able to show it publicly, so that those people that are taking sustainable action, those people will get a benefit. They'll be able to say, "Hey, I'm only going to do business with those people." I think that that's the one thing that we can do that can help make a big, big dent in this problem. I'm not going to do business. I'm not going to travel to. I'm not going to go to that hotel. I'm not going to go to that person's house and couch surfing. I'm not going to do uh, start a company with this person that's not doing their fair share. They're clearly not a cooperator. They're not thinking at that level. I can't trust them. So if we could institute that, that's important as well. And I think that when it comes to ownership of companies, and this is why I'm working on Upstock, it's really hard to have upward mobility in a capitalist system. So if it's, you know, the rich get richer, or if you've got, it takes money to make money, all of those things, they're, they're, they're true to a degree. You have to be extremely, extremely lucky beyond what would know most people would be able to do to be successful enough, bootstrap a company or get some investment, and then get yourself up into that place with the people that have the money that makes money. That's, uh, that's hard. So if we could make that capital and ownership more accessible, more, more people can have that upward mobility. If you ask somebody, how do you have upward mobility? There's just no clear answer. It's like, I don't know. I don't know. I guess I go and get a job as a doctor or something. <laughs> I just don't know. As entrepreneurs and people who work in the system, we know that you know you have to create something that produces, generally produces income ongoing in some way, in in, in some value that is uh, something in for, some form that's valuable. So. I don't know if I've answered your question exactly. Maybe you want to. Yes, absolutely. Uh, uh, one, one thing I wanted to, to hear your thoughts on as we move into this more transparent society where we can see how trustworthy people are uh, and yeah. get that feedback. 
there's a lot of debate right now on social credit scores, on the right to be forgotten. How do you reconcile and how do we have that societal compassion if someone messes up? What does that look like and how do we prevent from centralization of the control of that information and the yeah. judgment of that? Yeah, so the first thing I think of when I think of social credit scores is I think of what is this for? Who is this for? Who is this serving? Uh, is this serving um, the people that are getting those scores? Uh, if you would ask them, what would you like? What would you like in a system? How would that work? And then uh, also I would think about diversity as well. Does the system promote diversity or is it like hampering diversity? So those are some, those are some things that really come to mind. If it's a system that is kind of created not by the people it's operating on and for uses and means that are not what those people are looking for, I would call that control. I would call that a controlling system or maybe a system that's taking advantage of people. So that's one one kind of way, to, one filter in which to look through to, to think about these systems. It's so important. The future could be dystopian or utopian. I would like to, these systems will exist. The social credit scores, feedback from people and or transactions that tell people in the future whether they should transact or relate to us. These will happen. How will they happen? There's a few different models. I'm concerned about the China model because at least in the West, I mean, I can't speak to whether it's appropriate for China, but it kind of hampers individuality, uh, that people are multi multifaceted, you know, break, break people down to one number and you have high punishing scores for somebody that doesn't, you know, you, you, we've all seen Black Mirror, we, we've seen uh, the Nosedive episode, season three, episode one. Uh, that's a dystopian version of a social credit score. You can have utopian versions, I think, if you don't reduce people to one number and you um, make sure that the, the attributes are constantly being updated and improved and that they are what people would like to see. And each, if each person can look at the data in the way that they want to, they could say, here's the filter that I'd like to look and see. This is what matters to me. If I'm looking at, let's turn on the filter in this way. Okay, he looks trustworthy to me based on my filter. But somebody else may have different cultural values and want to use a different filter. Fine. The idea is helping more people get their needs met and get more life and transactions um, without stifling diversity and without it being used for control. That's great. Thank you so much for that insight and really metacognition on these really serious issues. Um, I'd love to hear your your thoughts on um, the next stage of your work. How can people engage and follow what you're doing? You have a book coming out also. Uh, how can we how can we stay in touch with you? Great. So thank you for asking that. I think for me, the next stage is this two two pronged approach here. I'm working hard on the book about hacking ego and about hacking destiny and trust. If I could get that information out there, hopefully more people can take that and run with that. Uh, so that's one thing. If you want to follow me on that, just go to caseyfenton.com. And if you want to follow along with uh, and, and participate in Upstock, where you can basically share equity with anyone at any time very easily in, in multiple countries around the world. I mean, we're partnering with the big four accounting firms to make sure that it's localized. Uh, we've done everything we can with the top attorneys here in the U.S. to make the, our legal docs the top, top, top shelf legal docs. And we're very, very proud of that. So if you want to check that out, you can go to upstock.io. Uh, if you go to upstock.io slash podcast, I have a special uh, equity report that you can uh, you can download. Fantastic. Well, 
Casey, it's such a service to individuals, to organizations, and society, the work that you've been doing for decades now. And it's such a privilege to have you here uh, and really hope to be able to talk again soon. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. I wish everybody could see your smile. You have the best smile ever. And I'm so thankful to be uh, on this podcast, and I'm looking forward to uh, checking it out and checking out your, your entire line of interesting talks and speakers as the weeks and months go on. Well, thank you so much. Well, stay yeah. tuned. Thanks again. Take care. Aloha. Cheers.